But we're going to look this morning at this matter of identity. Two weeks ago, we looked at places that we often place our identity. Your identity is more than just the name and the picture that's on your license, if you have a license. Two weeks ago, I gave you a couple examples of where we naturally tend to place our identity and, and things which aren't necessarily wrong if that's not our ultimate identity. And you remember two weeks ago, just by way of review, we all live in a country, right? We have a cultural identity. We're Americans. We do things uh, typically the American way. If we're around individuals from different cultures, the things they do and the habits they have many times seem foreign to us because we have a, an American heritage, an American culture. We each have a family culture, a family identity. So the Pereira household is going to do things a certain way because of the wiring of our family, maybe different than what your family does. We have occupational identities many times. We, we each have jobs, responsibilities, demands that are placed upon us. We often even, when the job becomes our identity in an improper balance, we often take that identity with us. We take that identity, for, for instance, to, to the house with us. And what winds up ha happening is our families start to suffer the consequences because we're so wrapped up in our occupational identity and the demands that are placed upon us. But these are all systems and, and these are all kind of identity markers that we work out of, out of habit, without even thinking of it. But what would happen if all of those things I just listed, whether it's your, uh, your American culture, whether it's your family culture, your family identity, your occupational identity, what if all of those things became secondary to something else? What if all of those identity markers that we so often live out of became secondary to something greater? What would that look like in your life? What would that look like in my life? How would that play out on a daily basis in, in my life and your life? Would we begin to find the values that we live by on a daily basis start to become turned upside down? Would we start to see a change in what we truly value in life? How we relate to one another? How we respond to one another? Even when, as, as Steve read in Romans 12, we are not treated well. Would the values we live for begin to change if no longer were those secondary things the identity we lived out of? Would the worry, would the fear, would the stress that dominates your life as you're sitting there 
Would those things that so often enchain you start to lose its stronghold in your life? If you started to live out of a greater identity than what you currently are? Would the soul rest that you crave so much but don't know how to grasp, would it finally be realized in your life if you lived out of a different identity than what you currently are? Would the apathy that so frustrates you and characterizes your spiritual life begin to give way to a passion and a longing for more of God if you started to live out of a different identity? What would that look like for you to start to live out of a greater identity than those identities from which humanity so often lives out of? Ask yourself that. Because the only way for a Christian to live a truly fulfilled life is for that individual to live in light of a greater identity. And I hope by now through our, book in Colo- through our study through Colossians you have seen that that identity is one that has already been purchased for you through Jesus. That your greater identity is as a child of God. And what we see in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, it presents us with three areas that will be greatly affected when we begin to live in light of our true identity. And we've already seen one of them. Verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. As you determine what identity you're living out of this morning, there's three markers that really answer that. The first marker is, what things are you seeking in your life right now? Because if our identity is found in Christ, and we are living out of that identity, the Bible says here in verse 1, we are going to be seeking what kind of things? The things that are above, right? You remember two weeks ago we talked about those two, the, the two ideas of concept versus reality. So man, I can tell you that the Christian life, when it is lived through uh, the, the power and the centeredness of living through Christ, I can tell you that that is truly a fulfilling life, and, and that is an empowering life. But that's just a concept unless you're living it, unless it's a reality in your life. No greater than, as we talked about last week, if you've never flown on an airplane, for someone to try to describe to you what it's like to fly on an airplane, it's just a concept. Why? Because you're not living it. You've never experienced it. You know, if the truths of God are dry to you, and the spiritual life just seems like a bore to you and a bother to you, you know what that that screams? That you have not experienced true spiritual life. Because the spiritual life 
that Christ has purchased for us as anything but dry, anything but boring, anything but predictable. But the passage goes on and says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, we're going to look at the final two identity markers of those who are living out of an identity that is centered on the person and work of Jesus for them, on what Jesus has bought for us. And those identity markers are not only found in the things that we are seeking, but the things that we are thinking about, and thirdly, the things that you and I are hoping in. And if you remember, here is the key thought, the key sentence, if you will, that we are setting our mind on in verses 1 to 4. If you are alive in Christ, you are to live for Christ. Let's say that together, but let's change the you to I. Let's make this personal. Ready? If I am alive in Christ, I am to live for Christ. But before we get to the living for Christ, our identity has to be firmly anchored in him unless it's just all outward show so we're going to look at the 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 last two identity markers for having our identity firmly fixed in christ but let's have a word of prayer father i pray that you would minister to our hearts father we've sang the truths of your word Father, that you are risen, you are risen indeed. How many times have we we come across that in the book of Colossians? Father, not only are you risen, but God, you are at work in our lives. And Father, as we just finished singing, because of your purchasing our redemption, we can run to you and say, oh God, have mercy upon me. I am a sinner. I am, I'm in need. Father, if, if we do not receive your forgiveness, how could we have any hope? Father, would you make a reality in our lives what is far too often a concept? And that is a life that is lived out of the, the centrality of what Jesus has done what he has purchased for us, not out of a centrality of self and what we have to do and what our obligations are. So Lord, would you work in our midst this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. The second marker of a life that is truly sourced in Jesus is found not only in the things that we seek, but in the things that you think about. In other words, we ask ourselves, what is the focus of my mind? Where does my mind keep going back to? What encompasses my thoughts? 
Because in verse 2, it says very clearly, set your minds on things that are above. Now, what we have to notice here is that this is not a passive focus. This is not something that our mind naturally goes to. Because if it was, we would have a lot more Christians that are passionate about what their Savior has done for them. We would have a lot more Christians that are living in faith as opposed to worry or fear. But the very fact that we struggle with the things that we do is an indicator that this is not natural. This is not a passive focus. We are to be actively seeking to set our minds on things that are above. Notice the parallel command here. In verse 1, he says, seek the things that are above. Here he says, set your minds on things that are above. One individual says this, set your minds goes beyond just seeking of verse 1 because it emphasizes the need to dwell intently on the things that are above. In other words, if we're not actively doing this, our minds are naturally, our focus is naturally going to drift. Case in point, how many of you remember if you were saved uh, later in life or as a teenager or as an older child, you remember your point of conversion where you gave your life to Christ, you repented of your sins, you trusted in Christ, and you remember the joy that you experienced as a believer. How many of you say, I remember that point in my life? Do you remember being fervently on fire for God? That my goodness, all of these truths that I am learning, all of these things that, that, that I read in God's word, my eyes have been opened and I'm reading these for the first time and I am just overwhelmed by this. Do you remember that point in your life? But what happens we become a Christian longer and longer. We get more, uh, we hear the truths of God's word more and more. We start to become comfortable with the greatness that we have in Christ, the, the great spiritual riches and the assurance and the comfort, and we start to drift from that. And it starts to become, well, that's an that's old hat, that's, I've heard all this stuff, and we start to lose our focus. This isn't just spiritual. Um, this doesn't just happen in a spiritual realm. This happens all the time. How many of you buy a new boat? You buy a new car? You get a new house, and man, that thing is, is the cat's meow at first. But then you've had it a while, and it starts to become second nature. It starts to become something you're used to. And, you know, you're used to getting in that new car and smelling that new car smell. You know, I use the spray, the new car spray. <laughs> but, you know, th that becomes second nature. That happens in anything we do. And that can happen in who we are. The gratefulness starts to escape our minds and we start to lose the focus of the realities that we have in Christ. You see, this focus of our mind, it's not a passive focus. It has to be active. But guess what? This is also not a double-minded focus. 
We're to focus on things that are above. You can't be focusing on things that are above at the same time of thinking about things on this earth. That doesn't, mind, that doesn't mean we don't have cares and concerns of things on this earth, but it means that they have their rightful place. In other words, our, our, our foundation is the things above while we are living through the mundane trials of life. Doesn't mean we don't care about what's going on around us. Doesn't mean that we have some, some fake spirituality that says, oh, that's all right, I'm going through this, but praise Jesus. And, and we act naive. No, we go through heartache. We go through difficulty. We have great responsibilities here on, on this earth. But yet it is all set in a context of something far greater. That's what it means to seek the things that are above. That's what it means to let your minds be set on things that are above. Because we often will reverse it that our foundation our focus is the things of this earth, and oh yeah, there's also these things above, but man, that's for eternity. That's for later. So I need to worry about the here and now. Isn't that what we do? But according to the scripture, that's all backwards. That's living out of the wrong identities. Whenever we live out of our identity of, in Christ, like we read in Romans 12, the values are turned upside down. We have upside-down values. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. The things this earth cherishes are the things that, that God's kingdom says they're worthless. They're worthless. You see, this, the only way to set our minds on things that are above is to have a focus that is based upon our identity through Jesus. Now, in Colossians, Paul's been spending a good amount of time on the false teachers, right? And, and, and the garbage that they are trying to fill the Christian's mind with. Look at their identity. I'm going to turn, uh, I'm, on, the, on the overhead will be another passage in Philippians. Again, Paul is talking about false teachers, not in Colossae now, but in Philippi, a different area. And he says this, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Get this next phrase, with minds set on earthly things. What does the next phrase of verse 2 say? Set your mind on things that are above, not on what? I'm doing it to you again, not on what? Things that are on the earth. What characterizes the false teachers? Their minds set on earthly things. And then notice the contrast of those that are living out of their identity in Christ. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from that citizenship, in other words, from that identity, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. False teachers... Their God is their belly. That's another way of saying, man, they are living after their own passions and their own lusts. It's not just food, but it is, it is earthly, it is sensual, it is wrong things. 
Their minds are set on earthly things, but we are looking towards a Savior. When's the last time that you have consciously said, oh Lord, I want you more than these things that I'm yearning for? God, I want you, I want to know you more. I want to to walk with you closer, greater than the things that I'm worrying about. Father, if it means me walking through the, the, the deepness and the darkness of the valleys to know more of you, then while my flesh cries, get me out of here, Father, by faith I pray, just see me through it because you are worth more than my comfort. You are worth more than my passions. You are worth more than what I call my desires. When's the last time you've prayed that? You see, there's a danger of the mind. The danger is that we, again, are prone to set our focus on things of the earth. And what is the things of this earth void of? It is void of Christ. Because where does verse 1 say Christ can be found? It is, he is found in seeking the things that are above. It says where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see, to, see the, to seek the things that are above is to be seeking Christ. It's to be seeking the things that he is after. James 1.8 says, the one who wavers, the one who goes between faith and doubt, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Doesn't that characterize your life and my life so many times? Unstable. Shifting about. It's because we are trying to seek the things above at the same time that we are focused on the things of this earth. But typical with the scriptures and with Paul, he does not just give us a command. Remember we talked about Paul always bathes his commands in what Christ has done for us. Well, in verse 3, We see this command to set our minds on the things above bathed in the reality of what we have in Jesus. You see, there is not only a focus of the mind we are to have and a danger of the mind of the things that we set our minds on so naturally, but there's an incentive for our minds to be set on him. How many of you like to look at, at newspapers and you, and, and you like to cut out ads in the newspaper? How many of you do that? Nobody? Okay. How many of you watch that show? What's that show called? Um, the coupon, they collect tons of coupons. It's like five carts full of stuff. How many of you watch that? TLC or something? I, I don't, but Rachel. Okay, Matt. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> True man to admit that. You know, many times there are incentives that are given in the newspaper or magazines. It is usually what? If you buy this, you can get one free. Or if you buy this, you can get a dollar off this purchase. But no matter what the coupon, normally, there has to be a man-made action, a purchase before we can reap any benefits from the company, from the brand. 
But did you know that Jesus' incentives, God's incentives are not like that? You see, here we find an incentive that is so much greater because God has done all of the buying for us and he says you simply must claim. Look at what verse 3 says. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What's the incentive? It is going back to our true identity if we are believers. We didn't slay ourselves, our, our, our sin, our old natures. We didn't do that ourselves. God has done it for us through his son. And Paul says, hey, remember who you are. It will enable you to set your mind on things that are above. If you forget, you cannot. So from this, I just want to give you three phrases that help us to live in light of our true identity. And if you are taking notes, these are good to write down. The first thing you need to remind yourself when you are saying, I need to live out of my identity in Jesus, out of my identity in my Savior, not my job, not my family, not how good of a parent I am, not how financially um, well off I am or financially not, uh, not doing well I am, is this. We have to remember, first of all, that I am not what I was. I'm not what I was. Verse 3 says, you have died with Christ. You've died. Your old nature, who you were under the first Adam, a dead sinner. We all are born dead spiritually because of Adam. Who we were is no longer who we are. And it doesn't matter if you would consider yourself living a victorious Christian life. A lot of times, vague terms like that do not help us because I don't consider myself living a victorious Christian life. I consider myself following in the footsteps of one who lived victoriously for me. Amen? That is how we are to be living out of our identity. And I am following in his footsteps, doing a horrible job of it, but holding to him by God's grace. And because of Jesus, I can remember I am not what I was. You see, this is what is to drive our thinking in regards to verses 1 and 2. Secondly, the second thing that we need to preach to ourselves, you are all a preacher, not just me up here. You preach to yourself. I get the privilege of, of preaching to you for 45 minutes a week. Don't, don't laugh. <laughs> I'm doing better. I'm trying to do better. <laughs> I get the privilege, and I count it a privilege and an honor and, and a God-given uh, blessing to be able to do that. But do you know what? You are the greatest preacher in your life because you are preaching to yourself 24-7. 
And if it's not for the Holy Spirit at work in your heart, no preacher can undo in, in 20 to 45 minutes or however long each individual preacher goes can undo what you're preaching to yourself 24-7. Are you preaching to yourself the right things? I am not what I was. Number two, this verse shows us that we can proclaim, we can preach to ourselves that what I am is now defined by Jesus. Why? Because verse three says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Remember that union idea we were talking about, that we are now united to Jesus? It is no longer ourselves if we are a believer, but it is our identity and who Jesus is, not in who we are. What I am is now defined by Jesus. You know what this gives us? This gives us three things. It gives us security, because there is security in being hidden, isn't it? I think I told you there's three things you need to preach to yourselves. There's only two. What I am is not what I was. What I am is now defined by Jesus. Those are the two things you need to preach to yourself on a daily basis. But under this idea that what I am, my identity is in Jesus, there's just three key terms that you can remember. The first one is security. There is security in being hidden. You are now permanently secure through Christ. This, this word hidden has the idea, it's something that's happened in the past that will have continuing results throughout eternity. I think of, of my little girl, Julia, and, you know, the, the, the daddy-daughter bond. I always heard about that, but it's, again, concept versus experience um, it's neat. So, for instance, um, when Timmy and Isaac were small and they would get scared of something, I don't know if it's just the, the, the guy-guy dynamic, but before I would make them feel safe, I'd kind of have fun with it. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't, don't look pious at me. You all have done it too. You kind of have fun with it. And then, no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. It's all... Now, Julia, I kind of did that once or twice, like I would with the boys, until I saw her different reaction. You see, she is craving security from her daddy. And she'll get scared, and if I'm holding her, she'll hide, even at, you know, two years old, she'll hide her little head in my chest, like, no, daddy, no. Or she will hear something or see a bug and she's there and she will run into daddy's lap and just hide her face. What is she doing? She's taking comfort in the security of being hidden in her daddy. That is exactly what we are to do with God that we realize that our life is hidden with Christ in God. And in being hidden, it means that we are living out of His resources and His strength and His security to give us comfort, to give us peace, 
to move us along in the trials of life. And guess what? As a daddy with my little girl, I take pleasure in her reliance upon me. I take pleasure in it. Did you know that God takes pleasure in your saying, hey, my feelings maybe don't feel like it, My head is spinning with all of my responsibilities and the, the, the difficulties I'm going. I have more questions than answers right now, but I am taking security in my Father. With childlike faith. And guess what? It gives God great pleasure. He is not going to let you down. No more than a an imperfect dad would ever let difficult uh, the danger that may be surrounding affect his little girl. You think God would do that to us? You see, when we're living out of our identity, when we realize that my identity is defined by Jesus, it produces a security in our life. My life is hidden. I don't live out of my own resources and out of my own identity. I live in light of him. The second key word is union. There is a union in being hidden. The passage says Christ is our life. You know what that's saying? We are now inseparable from Jesus. It's never just me. It's it's Jesus and I. And I live out of Jesus' life because the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that has given me new life. It's not about me anymore. And the third key word is anticipation. You see, when I am preaching to myself that my life is now defined by Jesus, not my accomplishments, not my fears, not my worries, not my marriage, whatever it may be. There's anticipation. Why? Because inherent in this word hidden, we're going to see in verse 4, is the truth of being revealed. There is anticipation that a greater day is coming. We are awaiting a greater day. And that causes us to look with anticipation, knowing that the best is indeed yet to come. This is not the end of the road. You know, fairy tales really do happen that they lived happily ever after, just not on this side of eternity. But that day is coming for God's people when they will live happily ever after after you see folks the second identity marker of those that are living out of their identity of christ is not only in the things we that we are seeking it's not only in the things we are setting our minds on but it's lastly in the things that we are hoping in as you leave today what's your hope maybe you'd say man my hope's for a really good lunch And I'm hoping that too. I'm assured of it, of course. (laughs) But yet, if that's where our hope ends, I mean, what kind of hope is that? What kind of assurance 
But folks, we are given the greatest hope in the world. You know, no matter what we're excited about on, in this earth, we can be so excited, but it's going to come to an end. You know, I can be, as a child, I remember being so excited about Christmas. And then you know what happens? On the day of Christmas, you're like, you know, the excitement is like three-fourths of the whole thing. And you're like, whoa, it's actually Christmas today, and I'm excited about it. But after today, Christmas is going to be over. Every excitement here on earth comes to an end. And, and that is a reminder that there is something greater for us to place our hope in, no matter what we currently are placing our hope in, in this earth. Because there's only one thing that's eternal. And again, in verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears. You know what we hope in? We hope in the fact that Christ is our life. Repetition of what we just read in verse 3. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. If, if, if my life is hidden with Christ and God, then that means the source of my life is outside of myself. It's in Christ. I like what one individual said. Christ is the source, the center, and the goal of the individual and corporate lives of believers. Our life is sourced in Christ. He's the centerpiece of our life. And He is the goal that one day we will be with Jesus in eternity face to face. 1 John says, we shall see Him for we shall be like Him. Our hope is not only in the fact that Christ is indeed our life right here, right now, but one day Christ will appear. The day is coming. It says when Christ who is your life appears. It doesn't say if Christ who is your life appears. It doesn't say, you know, the possibility of, of Christ who is your life appearing. It says when he appears. It is coming, then why do we not live like it? Why is so many times the furthest thing from our mind that our Savior is coming? The day is coming. But not only that, one day there will be a full revelation. What is that revelation? It says, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, Christ will one day appear. He will come as the lion of the king of Judah, the roaring lion, the mighty, victorious savior And at that point in time, the Bible says that who we really are, we will appear with Him. The hidden will only be hidden for a time. Because our life is hidden with Christ and God now, our life will one day be fully revealed for who we are as we receive a glorified body, as Christ returns to rule and reign on this earth, and we rule and reign with Him. In eternal blessings and peace, the revelation will 
See, folks, the call of the Bible, the call of things to come, the call of eschatology is the big word for it. It's not just simply all those things that'll one day happen. It's not about showing a chart of this will come and then this and then this and then this. It's about affecting how we live today. Are you living in light of your coming Savior? Will you be found ashamed looking back thinking, oh, of all of the time that I lived out of an identity in self as opposed to my Savior. As we close, I like what one individual said concerning this call to these Colossian Christians. Remember, if you remember way back, we talked about in our introduction, the city of Colossae was actually a very rural, insignificant city. But here, he's te- Paul's telling these seemingly insignificant Christians that will get easily overlooked by all the surrounding cities of more higher significance. He's saying you are important because your life is hidden with Christ and God and you need to remember the king is coming back so we are living in light of that greater kingdom as privileged citizens of that kingdom. This person says, after all, these insignificant ex-pagans from a third-rate country town will participate in a glory that encompasses all creation, and it is to this cosmic vision that their identities are to be grounded. As we close today, I ask you, what is your identity grounded in? Let's read that phrase that we had at the beginning. Let's substitute the word I. If I am alive in Christ, I am to live for Christ. And you will only do that if your identity is grounded in what Christ has accomplished for you. Let's pray. Father, as we close this morning, I pray that you would take the revealed word and that you would magnify it before our eyes. That you would teach us and that you, the Holy Spirit would preach to our hearts the need to seek a greater identity, the one that Christ has purchased for us. Lord, if there's one today that has never accepted you, would you work in their heart? Would you draw them to yourself? Would today they place their faith in a Savior? Father, would you do business in our lives? Would you rearrange our priorities, our values, our cares, our concerns in light of your identity? in light of the greater kingdom that is yet to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.